Welcome back to Focus on the Light, the Come Follow Me podcast as we continue with the next week of Come Follow Me, this week specifically about Genesis chapter 3 and 4 and Moses chapter 4 and 5. So we continue in the story or the history from where we did last week. We understand the creation and Adam and Eve's placement in the Garden of Eden. These chapters, Genesis chapter 3 and 4 and Moses 4 and 5, are the same chapters about the fall of Adam, Adam and Eve being forced to leave the Garden of Eden. Again, because of the similarities in the chapters like last week, instead of it going chapter by chapter, I'm going to go through them at the same time. Because as you remember, the book of Genesis and the book of Moses are actually the same book, except for Moses is the Joseph Smith translation of the book of Genesis with richer detail and more truths, which we are very grateful for, especially really evident this week. It is wonderful to have these restored truths to be able to understand it because as I read the book of Genesis, it, it's kind of confusing. I know the story of Adam and Eve. We have new scriptures from the Pearl of Great Price with the book of Moses. We have the book of Mormon and even more so in the temple. I know the history. We as a church know the history. We know the hope and happiness of the fall of Adam. But in Genesis, it's a very, very depressing story that uh, could make one maybe a little bit angry towards God, have a little animosity to towards the harshness that the book of Genesis portrays it as. So I'm very grateful for the restored truth we have. So as a quick recap, if you, just in case you need a reminder, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. It's a beautiful place. They are immortal. They cannot die. Everything they need is provided for them. They live in the presence of God, but they also have no children. They have no joy. They don't know good or evil. An example of this, it describes them as being naked without them knowing. They're very childlike. Although they are adults, their knowledge is very limited and everything is given to them. So starting in Moses chapter four, I'm going to focus mainly on Moses again, because the book of Genesis is almost identical. The only difference is in the book of Moses, we have more verses, we have more scripture, we have more detail. So there's not a lot of reasons to uh, this particular week be going into Genesis because the anything that Genesis has, Moses has and more. So starting in Moses chapter four, it starts like all the past experiences has as a vision with Moses, the Lord teaching him these truths. And I love something that we get from the very, very beginning. This is a very different experience than what it seems like in Genesis, where Genesis just feels like a history book. Here in Moses, it's a personal conversation that a prophet is having with the Lord. So in verse one, and I, the Lord God, spake unto Moses, saying that Satan, whom thou hast, hast commanded in the name of mine only begotten, is the same which was from the beginning, and so on and so forth. And we get into a history of Satan, which I'll get into in a moment. But what I love about this and this unique experience between Moses and the Lord, the Lord is teaching Moses through Moses's experience with his understanding. So when mentioning Satan, he mentions the devil that Moses had to cast out in the name of the only begotten earlier in Moses chapter one that we studied, which I think is a wonderful thing as we focus on receiving personal revelation through the scriptures, the Lord speaks to us according to our experiences and understanding and teaches us through things which we, he knows we will experience. And I'm very grateful for that. So now let's get into the verses here again in verse chapter one. At the start of this, we get the history of Satan and the war in heaven. So Satan in the beginning, again, verse one, came unto the Lord saying, behold, here am I, send me, I will be thy son. I will redeem all mankind that one soul shall not be lost. And surely I will do it. Wherefore, give me thine honor. So immediately we understand Satan, it was a very selfish desire. He claimed that he would save all of God's children and he wanted the glory of God. As we continue, but behold, my beloved son, which was, which was my beloved and chosen from the beginning said unto me, father, thy will be done and the glory be thine forever. 
Wherefore, because that Satan rebelled against me and sought to destroy the agency of man, which I, the Lord God, had given them, and also that I should give unto him mine own power, by the power of my only begotten, I caused that he should be cast down. And he became Satan, yea, even the devil, the father of all lies, to deceive and to blind men, and to lead them captive at his will, even as many as would not hearken unto my voice. There's a lot of things unpacked there quickly. The first is that Satan being cast out was in his selfish desire caused him to rebel. Greed, coveting God's power is what caused that first rebellion. But what's also important to understand is that Satan is real. His influence on the earth is very, very real. He and his followers are on the earth trying to drag us away, and we need to be aware of that and need to be careful. And we will get plenty of examples of this in what we're about to study. And it starts in verse 6, as he comes tempting to Eve, trying to destroy the world. Verse 6, he came as a serpent, saying, He sought also to beguile Eve, for he knew not the mind of God, wherefore he sought to destroy the world. Satan, in his great anger towards God, sought to destroy his plan to destroy the world, and thought, in doing so, if he were to cause Adam and Eve to transgress against the laws of God, that he would destroy his plan not knowing that this was needed in the plans of God, like we talked about the weeks before in the two trees and the need of them to create opposition. So we know the story. Eve does partake of the fruit and then Adam partakes of the fruit and so on and so forth. But I'm very grateful for this restored scripture and what it teaches us here in verse 12. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it became pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make her wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and also gave unto her husband with her and he did eat. We have to remember just a chapter earlier in Moses 3, 17 says, Out of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat. Nevertheless, thou mayest choose thyself for it is given unto thee. It's important to remember that this wasn't a trick from Satan. And that's something that this makes very clear is it was a choice. It was an intelligent, wise choice that was needed for Eve, which we will get into later. But it wasn't, Satan tried to convince her to, but it was her choice. She chose and that choice was necessary. And then because of that, we see that In the gift of agency, like we saw at the beginning of this, God gave us agency and Satan sought to destroy that. And that was a part of his rebellion against God is the gift of agency he gave us, Satan was trying to take away and God was not going to allow that to happen. But in the gift of 100% agency, we also are required to have 100% accountability. And so we immediately see the circumstances of this were right after verse 13 and their eyes were opened uh, and they knew that they were naked. Uh, and they made clothes for themselves, right? And it talks about how their eyes were open and they saw good and evil. But what's important to remember is that at times in our life when we tr- transgress the laws of God or we sin, to not let Satan convince us to hide. As we see in verse 14, Adam and Eve are afraid of the voice of the Lord. They hear him, so they go and hide. Satan tries to convince us to hide from God, to be afraid of him when we have sinned, when he is the very source to which we need to turn to to remedy those mistakes. Satan not only wants us to sin, but wants us to stay there, to remain from the presence of God. Returning to the presence of God after sinning is what makes us holy, what allows us to repent. Satan wants to keep us in that sin. So don't let him. But as the story goes, they are confronted by God. They tell him that they partook of the fruit. And because of that, they have to leave the Garden of Eden. And it talks about how the sorrows will come upon them, the sorrows of childbirth and the difficulty of that thorns and thistles, sweat of the brow being needed to eat, and 
the earth not producing the herbs that we need automatically, right? And all the things that we know of our earthly mortal experiences. Like I mentioned, this teaches the truth of accountability. Just as important as it is to give agency, we have to be accountable for our actions. Especially when our agency is in regards to God's commandments. If we jump all the way to verse 30, this is the Lord speaking. For as I, the Lord God, liveth, even so my words cannot return void. For as they go forth out of my mouth, they must be fulfilled. If we are acting upon the words of God, either contrary to them or in accordance with them, we know that they will be fulfilled. Accountability is essential, but it doesn't just have to be for bad things. Not only do we need to be accountable for the mistakes or the sins that we make, but also the righteous actions and the fulfillment of God's word in our obedience. Accountability is a wonderful gift that allows us to receive the blessings of God. It doesn't just need to be a negative thing. But to back up a little bit, verse 28, after this, Adam and Eve leave the garden. Verse 28, and I, the Lord God, said unto mine only begotten, behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Gaining knowledge is essential for us to become like God. We need to gain this knowledge of good and evil to experience this opposition on our journey to become like him. But gaining that knowledge alone isn't enough. If we continue the scripture and now lest he put forth his hand and partake also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, I, the Lord God, will send him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. We need this probationary time to learn the difference between good and evil, to decipher between the two, but more importantly, to choose to act on the good. And we're going to see a lot of that in the next chapter. Just because we know good and evil doesn't mean that we're automatically going to be good or automatically worried or or automatically worthy of the inheritance of godlihood. We need this time on earth to learn to choose, not just to learn the difference of good and evil, but to learn to choose good over evil. And so Adam and Eve are forced out of the Garden of Eden, and we have the fall of Adam. While the book of Moses does give us more insights and gives us more truths about it and helps us understand things, it's still a pretty sad story. Come follow me, the manual puts it this way. At first, the story of the fall of Adam and Eve might seem like a tragedy. Adam and Eve were cast out of the beautiful Garden of Eden. They were thrown into a world where pain, sorrow, and death are very present, and they were separated from their Heavenly Father. But because of the truths restored through the prophet Joseph Smith in the book of Moses, we know that the story of Adam and Eve is actually one of hope and an essential part of God's plan for his children. But so far, in the book of Moses, I don't see a lot of hope. Where does this hope come into the story? Where does so far this sad story, this tragedy, become one full of hope? To get an amazing answer to this, we're going to jump all the way to Moses chapter 5, verse 11. And Eve, his wife, heard all these things and was glad, saying, Were it not for our transgressions, we never should have had seed, and never should have known good and evil, and the joy of our redemption, and the eternal life which God giveth unto all the obedient. They understood fully the need for their transgression, and the opportunities of eternal life and joy that it brought. A lot of the times when you talk about Adam and Eve, we can talk about the sorrows and the challenges and the thorns and thistles that they brought through their choice. But we also need to remember the opportunities that that choice brought to all of our lives. It brought us the chance to live. Without the fall of Adam, none of us would have been born. But more importantly, we wouldn't have had the chance to progress, to become like God, to exercise our agency. Adam and Eve understood this. They understood of the chance for eternal life and the joy that that brought. How this, this fall, 
was a necessary step on the road to return to our Father in heaven. But this is, like I said, all the way in verse 11. There's a lot that happens before this verse. What happens before it is a great understanding that we need to have to understand how this joy can come. Because so far, all we know is that they've fallen. And that in this fallen state, they understand that they can have joy in eternal life. But how do we get from this fallen state to the higher state of God? And that's what happens earlier. That's what they are taught. They are visited by the angel. Jumping back to verse 11, this is the first lesson, chronologically, so to speak, in the scriptures, to God's children about the gift of the Savior and the gift of the Savior's atonement and the chance of repentance. Starting in verse 11. And the angel spake, saying, This thing is in the similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten of the Father, which is full of grace and truth. Wherefore, thou shalt do all that thou doest in the name of the Son, and thou shalt repent and call upon God in the name of the Son forevermore. And in that day the Holy Ghost fell upon Adam, which beareth record of the Father of the Son, saying, I am the only begotten of the Father from the beginning, henceforth and forever, that as thou hast fallen, thou mayest be redeemed, and all mankind, even as many as will. This is what gave them joy, is that they understood while they had fallen, there was a chance for them to be redeemed. It wasn't the fall that brought the joy. It was the fall and the eventual chance of redemption that brings that joy. Lehi understood this really, really well. He taught his family about it in 2 Nephi. Well, he taught his family about it a lot, but particularly in 2 Nephi chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And now behold, If Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen, but he would have remained in the Garden of Eden, and all things which were created must have remained in the same state in which they were after they were created, and they would have remained forever and had no end, and they would have had no children, wherefore they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. But behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. Adam fell that men might be, and men are, that they might have joy. And the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time, that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. That's the most important part, that although the fall happened, the Messiah will come, and has come, from our perspective, to redeem the children of men from the fall. And because that they are redeemed from the fall, they have become free forever, knowing good from evil, to act for themselves and not be acted upon, save it be by punishment of the law, at the great and last day, according to the commandments which God hath given. Wherefore men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given unto them which are expedient unto them, and they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil, for he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. It's important to understand the distinction that not, we weren't just learning, we're not here on earth to just learn the difference between good and evil, that, hey, good is one thing and evil is another thing, and these are just two ideas out in the world, but to learn how those paths of good versus evil, what they lead to. When we choose good, we're not just choosing good as an idea. As the scripture says, we are choosing liberty and eternal life through the great mediator who is Jesus Christ. When we choose bad, we are choosing captivity. We had to come to earth, not just to learn, but then based off our learning to choose and based off that agency and how we use it to then be accountable. And if we choose properly, we will be accountable for the good that we choose. And through the atonement of Jesus Christ, we can be found worthy to receive all that the father has to be worthy. We have to choose and we couldn't have chosen without coming to a fallen world where there was a chance to choose good, but also a chance to choose evil. 
What's the point of the test if there's no wrong answers? That doesn't test anything. And before anyone is given authority or power, especially power as great as God's, who we saw earlier, he defended against Satan, Lucifer, trying to take from him. This isn't something he's just going to give out to everybody. There has to be a test to prove our worthiness and our ability to choose the right to receive it. It's important. Nephi or Lehi understood that really, really well. On a side note, I think this is why, my, yeah, as I read this, I, I gained a new understanding for why Lehi was so thrilled by his vision for the tree of life. He was a prophet who knew the teachings of the scriptures really, really well, particularly the teachings of the Old Testament, particularly these first five books of Moses that we get in the Old Testament. Those were the main scriptures that they had at that time. He knew them well, which means he knew the story of Adam and Eve really well, as we just saw. He knew, like we talked about last time, jumping all the way back to Moses, chapter 4, verse 31, he knew that cherubim and a flaming sword turned every away to keep the way of the tree of life. He knew that. He knew that mortal man, through the fall of Adam and Eve, had been cut off from the tree of life, that it had been blocked by a flaming sword. He knew it was inaccessible to us. But his vision showed him that the Lord had a way and a path for us to find our way back to the tree. Ultimately, that's the gift of Jesus Christ and the atonement. I think that would bring you a lot of joy to understand that this gift, the tree of eternal life, is blocked off by a flaming sword. But through the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a path right back to it. Wonderful thing. Now, that's a little tangent, so let's get back to what we were talking about before. These truths, our understanding of the fall of Adam and Eve, I'm so grateful for modern scripture, like we just read in the Book of Mormon, but also in the Pearl of Great Prices we're using to give us a greater understanding of it. But we also have the words of living prophets and leaders on the earth today. Jeffrey R. Holland said, Our Heavenly Father certainly could not force innocent parties out of the garden and still be a just God. Adam and Eve and we knowingly and lovingly absolved God of the responsibility for the thorns and thistles of a fallen world that was personally chosen by us, not capriciously imposed by him. Even better, Alan H. Oak said, for reasons that have not been revealed, this transition or fall could not happen without transgression, an exercise of moral agency amounting to a willful breaking of a law. This would be a planned offense a formality to serve an eternal purpose. It was Eve who first transgressed the limits of Eden in order to initiate the conditions of mortality. Her act, whatever its nature, was formally a transgression, but eternally a glorious necessity to open the doorway towards eternal life. Adam showed his vision by doing the same, and thus Eve and Adam fell that man might be. Some Christians condemn Eve for her act, concluding that she and her daughters are somehow flawed by it, not the Latter-day Saints, exclamation point. I love that. Informed by revelation, we celebrate Eve's act and honor her wisdom and courage in the great episode called the fall. Joseph Smith taught that it was not a sin because God had decreed it. Brigham Young declared we should never blame Mother Eve, not the least. Elder Joseph Fielding Smith said, I never speak of the part Eve took in this fall as a sin, nor do I accuse Adam of sin. This was a transgression of the law, but not a sin for it was something that Adam and Eve had to do. I am grateful for that new knowledge we have, like our second article of faith. We believe that man will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgressions. 
And then immediately to follow that up with Article of Faith 3, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And then it's great because the one right after that tells us what the first four ordinances are. How great how those line up. But I'm grateful for living prophets who teach us clearly what this is. It was a fulfillment of God's plan and a chance for us to come to earth. It's very, very important that we get that straight. We may not understand why, but it was a formality that had to happen. And I'm grateful for Adam and Eve and their wisdom doing so. So now that we've answered the question, kind of in a long-winded way, how Adam and Eve were able to have hope in this sad experience, which ultimately is the gift of redemption through Jesus Christ, let's go back to the beginning of chapter 5, and keep going through there because there's a lot of truths to go through in this chapter. And this is another reason to be very, very grateful for the book of Moses and modern scripture. The book of Moses chapter five, and then in Genesis chapter four is about Cain and Abel. A lot of us know that story. You may not know it, but know that it is a story in the Bible. In Genesis chapter four, which syncs up with Moses five, we only get the story, a very limited, not detailed story of Cain and Abel. In Moses chapter 5, we get 16 verses before Cain is even mentioned. And then once he is, we get a lot more detail. So I'm very grateful for that. So let's start in chapter 5. Going verse by verse. First, I want to point out throughout this entire chapter, but first mentioned in verse 2, that they describe the beautiful creation of children, sex between a married couple, Adam and Eve, and then later through their children as knowing. The scriptures say, and Adam knew his wife, and she bare unto him sons and daughters. And they began to multiply and replenish the earth. He knew her. What a very beautiful, intimate way of describing something powerful on earth. The complete opposite of everything that the world is trying to make sexual activity to be. It is a sacred gift, and it is powerful. And it's a wonderful thing to enjoy in marriage. And the world is trying to take everything that it is and make it awful. So remember how the scriptures describe it because it's perfect. So let's jump to verse four now. Moving on a little bit. Verse four. And Adam and Eve, his wife, called upon the name of the Lord. And they heard the voice of the Lord from the way toward the Garden of Eden, speaking unto them. And they saw him not, for they were shut out from his presence. There's a lot of things to unpack here. First, Adam and Eve may not have been in the Garden of Eden anymore. They may have been in a world where they could not be in the physical presence of God, but that didn't make them any less desirable to hear his voice. And then the other way around, it didn't make them any less God's children and didn't make his desire to speak to them any less. If we call upon God, he will speak to us from the sources we know and trust Like I pointed out in the beginning of Moses, he spoke to Moses in a way that was personal to him based off his experiences. When he speaks to Adam and Eve, he does so from the Garden of Eden, an area that they trust as a voice and source of God. When I pray and seek the voice of the Lord, I don't hear it coming from the Garden of Eden. I don't even know where that is. How would I, that wouldn't mean anything to me to have a voice coming from a garden, but it meant something to Adam and Eve. And I love that we can seek the Lord, and through his love and desire to speak to us, he will in a way that we will understand. It's remarkable. And then we get to go on to one of my favorite passages of scripture, and that's in verses 5, 6, and 7. So Adam and Eve, starting verse 5. 
And he gave unto them commandments that they should worship the Lord their God and, he, and should offer the firstling of their flocks for an offering unto the Lord. And Adam was obedient unto all the commandments of the Lord. So the Lord gave him commandments and very clearly told them to sacrifice the firstling of their flocks. As we know, because of scripture, it is in the similitude of the only begotten. But they were com- obedient. The end of that verse, and Adam was obedient unto all the commandments of the Lord. But if we continue the story, verse six, and after many days, an angel of the Lord appeared unto Adam, saying, why dost thou offer sacrifices unto the Lord? And Adam said unto him, I know not, save the Lord has commanded me. He didn't even really know what he was doing. He knew he was doing what the Lord commanded him, and that was enough. He was willing to be obedient on that alone. And for me, I try to have that same faith that there is a lot about commandments and about truths, especially like I talked about last week, that are that we are questioning, that we're being forced to gain answers about, and some of them I still don't have answers to. And maybe we won't. But knowing that it is a commandment from God, from a God who loves us, is enough for me to be obedient. And I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that I am. But I try to be like Adam and Eve here and be obedient with faith in God alone. But like God does, eventually he does reveal it all to us. In verse 7, that we read earlier. And the angel spake saying, this is in the similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten of the father, which is full of grace and truth. After his obedience, then he learns why. He learns the significance of it after he's obedient. But it's important also to understand for what we're going to get into later, that in this sacrifice, in the similitude of the only begotten, what the firstling of the flock means. Frequently throughout the scriptures, especially in the creation and all that we've read so far, Heavenly Father frequently this refers to his son, Jesus Christ, as his only begotten, his firstborn, which sacrifice of that only begotten would mean so much to us and continues to, like I, we mentioned. This sacrifice is done in similitude of that sacrifice of the firstling of the flock, a pure lamb. So remember that. We'll get into it later. Then we continue with the verses where Adam and Eve feel the joy of this experience. And I love that in verse 10, it describes them being filled because of this knowledge that they gain. And then Eve explains in verse 11 her understanding of this and receiving joy. And then in verse 12, we understand that the type of parents that they are, that they made all these things known unto their sons and daughters. But yet again, right after a sacred spiritual experience in verse 13, Satan comes tempting. It's a pattern. He always comes trying to make us doubt the sacred spiritual experiences we just had. And because of this temptation and because of some of the children's unbelief, Verse 13 describes, and they believed it not, and they loved Satan more than God. And men began from that forth to be carnal, sensual, and devilish. We see carnal desires start right away. And it started because of unbelief. My wife and I, sadly, see people around us, even members of the church who we believe to know these things and understand these truths, acting on those carnal, devilish desires. And my wife often asks, how can someone get to that point? How can they do that? I don't know. It's unique. But I would say that it starts with unbelief. It starts with when we let our beliefs slip. Be careful. Remember to believe. It's powerful. But to move on a little bit. Verses 14 and 15, we see the voice of the Lord come unto them. And the Lord called upon men by the Holy Ghost everywhere and commanded them that they should repent. And then verse 15, back on belief. And as many as believed in the Son and repented of their sins, should be saved. And as many of us believed not, and repented not, should be damned. The first thing to point out here is that Satan 
it says that Satan came among them, sane, talking to them. But when the Lord spake, it was through the Holy Ghost. The Lord does speak to us. He doesn't leave us alone. We definitely saw that in the experience of Moses in Moses chapter one. We're seeing it now with Adam and Eve. He doesn't just abandon us with the forces of evil, but he's a lot quieter than Satan. Satan's angry and he wants our attention. He fights for it tooth and nail. Heavenly Father wants us to choose. He whispers to our hearts and to our minds. We have to choose to hear the Lord's voice. We have to choose to drown out the noises of, of everything else to hear the Lord's voice. But if we listen, it's always there. But also, it's important to, when he does teach us, to remember that repentance, belief, is what makes the difference. And I love what, how verse 15 ends. And the words went forth out of the mouth of God in the firm decree, wherefore they must be fulfilled. These are similar words to what was used in Moses 4.30. For as they go forth out of my mouth, they must be fulfilled talking about Adam and Eve being cast out. We can be just as confident as we are in the fall of Adam and God fulfilling his words of them being cast out and that fulfillment, which is proof through us being on earth right now, just as confident as we are in God fulfilling those part of his words, we can be confident in God fulfilling his words about repentance and those of us who believe being saved. We can be confident in his fulfillment of that redemption. So now, moving on, we get to the story of Cain and Abel. In Genesis, like I mentioned, this is all we get, just Cain and Abel, and not in great detail. It makes the story very confusing, and you can kind of feel Cain's frustration in the story of Genesis. And it also makes Adam and Eve's experience feel very miserable. But here we get more detail. From the time they were born, so it seems like, but not really, as the story goes, and as our life starts, it talks about how Abel hearkened unto the voice of the Lord, but Cain loved Satan more than God. I think that we could just rephrase that and say that Cain was a little bit selfish. He was more worried about himself than he was worried about the voice of the Lord. So they live their life and it, it comes time for them to give their sacrifices. The way we give these sacrifices is important. For Adam and Eve, they were commanded to give the firstling of their flock as we know in the similitude of the only begotten. That is the sacrifice that Abel gave. Cain gave a sacrifice of fruit, I think it is. What does the scripture say? Yeah, Cain brought the fruit of the ground and offered none to the Lord. His sacrifice was without faith. That's the difference. It's not just that God didn't like him or didn't appreciate his sacrifice. I'm sure God did, but it's that Cain was doing it without faith. That's the difference. He was doing it without faith in Jesus Christ, without faith in the only begotten. So Cain gives his sacrifice without faith. And because of that, there's no reward. And it talks about how the Lord didn't respect his offering. And this pleases Satan. Satan loves when we do things without faith. And then we don't receive the reward because we do it empty. It makes it really easy for him to plan doubts. Well, that didn't work. So God must not be real or whatever. He must not answer prayers or whatever the doubt is. And so it's, it's be sure that when you do act on things to do it with faith. And then if you do feel doubts to question, was I doing it with faith? I guarantee that if you are looking for a testimony and acting with faith, God will answer, I promise. But even with Cain's disobedience and his lack of faith, the Lord still has a desire to help him, to help him do go good. Because, you know, Cain gets all upset, becomes very wroth his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? In essence, like, what did you expect? If thou doest well, thou shalt be accepted. And if thou doest not well, 
sin lieth at the door, and Satan desireth to have thee. And except thou shalt hearken unto my commandments, I will deliver thee up, and it shall be unto thee according to his desire. Pretty simply, if you do good, you're going to be accepted. If you don't, sin is right there. Satan is waiting to grab you. Doing good keeps you safe from that. If you're not doing good, you're going to be delivered into the grasp of Satan. So the Lord gives him a warning that if he does reject the counsel of God, he'll receive a curse and that he needs to be careful. And the Lord says in verse 25, and this is a cursing which I'll put upon thee, except thou repent. He gives him a chance to repent saying, this is what's going to happen if you reject my counsel, unless you repent. He gives him a chance to repent like we see. But Cain, sadly, in verse 26, listened not anymore to the voice of the Lord. And then I also love this little detail. Neither to Abel, his brother. I think that Abel tried a lot to minister unto his brother Cain. I think he was trying to help him. In the book of Genesis, it talks about right before Cain kills him, that they were in a field together, that Abel was speaking unto him. I think that Abel saw Cain going another way and was trying to care for him. What a loving brother. But the Lord gives him a chance. He just chooses to reject it. So Cain goes with his wife and it talks about how they love Satan more than the Lord. Eventually, he comes back to slay his brother Abel. And in the scriptures, it talks about he did it to gain his flock. In verse 38, he says, And Cain said unto the Lord, Satan tempted me because of my brother's flock. In verse 38, uh, the footnote says that he was coveting. Right? So this entire thing starts with him being covetous, wanting something that he shouldn't. And instead of receiving Abel's flock, he receives a curse and a mark and is cast out on his own. And then this chapter proceeds with kind of a family history or lineage. We get the two separate lines of Cain. So Cain with his family goes off into the land and they have a bunch of children. And, and very quickly, uh, we see someone who has two wives. We see the beginning of adultery and infidelity very quickly in this descended line of Cain of, of wickedness. In the book of Genesis, we get a little more family history. And we see the other line that comes from Adam and Eve with her son, Seth. In Genesis 4, 25, and Adam knew his wife, and again, she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said she had appointed me another seed instead of Abel, who Cain slew. And so Seth is a righteous individual. And, and then he, they begin, his lineage begins to call on God. And eventually that leads to the city of Enoch, which is Zion. And it's, don't get confused because in this scripture, in both Genesis and Moses, it talks about Cain's descendant, Enoch. And the footnote says it's really clear. It says, there was a man named Enoch in Cain's lineage and a city by that name among his people. Do not confuse with the Enoch of the righteous line of Seth and with his city, Zion, also called the city of Enoch. So there's two different Enochs, one of them wicked, one of them righteous, and the city of Zion, the righteous one being the one from the descendants of Seth. But it's really interesting in the small detail we have to see how one line, the wicked descendants, were selfish. They love Satan more than themselves, as the scripture says. He gives them secret combinations, as we see that they keep among themselves selfishly. And Adam and Eve and their righteous children with Seth and his lineage, they let the Lord prevail in their life by being obedient and choosing to call upon the name of the Lord to hear his voice continually. In verse 58 of Moses chapter 5, it says that the gospel began to be preached from the beginning, being declared by holy angels sent forth in the presence of God and by his own voice and by the gift of the Holy Ghost. The gospel was preached, and that's how they let the Lord prevail, by continually being obedient, 
Now, it's interesting also to add some things here that the Del G. Renlin taught. Uh, this was out of Come Follow Me. It says, our Heavenly Father's goal in parenting is not to have his children do what is right. It is to have his children choose to do what is right and ultimately become like him. If he simply wanted us to be obedient, he would use immediate rewards and punishments to influence our behaviors. But God is not interested in his children just becoming trained and obedient pets who will not chew on his slippers in the celestial living room. No, God wants his children to grow up spiritually and join him in the family business. And, and that's the difference. That, that's the, the point of all this. The story we get of the fall of Adam and Eve and their mortality beginning and their eventual children and the immediate, and the immediate diversion of the two paths, one with Cain and the one with Seth and his lineage. And the difference. Heavenly Father respects our ability to choose. We're here on earth so that we can choose to do what's right and to grow spiritually. So there's a lot of great truths here. But even as I was reading these stories and studying to prepare for this, as much as I love these stories and as much as the truths that I've shared and and testified of, I feel a great appreciation for, and I know the truth of, I couldn't help but feel a bit connected, particularly with the book of Genesis, but just in its entirety, it was difficult to not feel disconnected. These individuals lived so long ago and their experience was very different from mine. Their struggle on earth dealt with serpents and Satan appearing unto them in his embodiment and speaking unto them, pulling the children away to love him and to murder one another. They dealt with animal sacrifices, and that's something that I'm not going to experience. And, you know, to turn it the other way around, they didn't have global pandemics and social political turbulences. They don't have social media and technology full of distractions. There's no pornography or mental health issues or body image issues with eating disorders. We could go on and on about the unique challenges of our day that are not present with Adam and Eve. The world is very, very different. And while the gospel of Jesus Christ is still the same, while the chance of redemption and the need to experience opposition and to decipher between right and wrong and to act upon good is the same, the challenges and the murkiness of those choices, the fog, as Lehi saw in his dream, uh, is thick. And so I'm very grateful for the scriptures and for learning from Adam and Eve I'm grateful for them having the wisdom to choose what they did and allowing me to come to earth and have this experience for myself. But I also feel a lot of gratitude for our living prophet, Russell M. Nelson. But not just him, all the living prophets we've had since the restoration of the church. What a blessing it is to have continual guidance from God through his chosen leaders. Modern scripture to guide us specific for our challenges and current difficulties. The prophet who is speaking for God not only speaks for God the same as the way Adam did and other prophets, but he's living with us now. He's going through the same experiences as we are. And even our local church leaders, be that your young women's leader or your Relief Society president or your elders quorum president or whoever it is, this guidance from God is continuing. And, and this renewed appreciation for the prophet gave me a goal this year to make time for living scripture. That while I read the Old Testament and soak up all the rich knowledge that that contains and love it, I want to make sure that I always take time to study the words of the living prophets and the church leaders. I'm going to start with President Nelson's talk, Let God Prevail. That phrase has been kind of knocking on my mind a lot, and I want to study that. And then go through the most recent general conference talks, and especially in anticipation of April general conference. Which maybe, I mean, I don't, not a huge fan of promoting things, but maybe if you'd be interested, send me an email, um, which is linked below. If you'd like for maybe like a podcast episode once a month or once a week or something, or maybe like an email newsletter talking about those general conference talks that I read and, and focusing on the words of living prophets while we also appreciate the words of past prophets in the Old Testament. I don't know if that's something that you'd appreciate. The email is linked below. You can also just email it. 
at focusonlight13 at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Also, I'd love to know what talks you're studying. But to get back to what I was saying, there, there was a young adult uh, broadcast with Elder Razban last night that I was very, very grateful for. Uh, him and his wife spoke. It was an area broadcast. And there was just something that I wanted to share that he said that I absolutely loved. And this is word for word what he said, quote, choose to follow God's living prophet and you will never be distant from Jesus Christ. It's a great broadcast. I encourage you to listen to the whole thing. You can find it on the church website or on their YouTube page. But it was just great to have a reminder of the wonderful gift that is a prophet and the blessing that that can bring to us right now as we heed the counsel of God through his living prophet. I'm grateful for prophets like Adam, who guided his family with their unique challenges. But I'm also grateful for Russell and Nelson, that we have God's servant on earth today. I'm grateful for Adam and Eve having the wisdom to choose mortal life and the chance to become like God through opposition and mortality. I'm grateful for the scriptures and the knowledge that these truths have, that they teach us of who we are and how to overcome this fallen state that we're in through repentance in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only am I grateful for the Bible and those teachings, but for the words of living scriptures, particularly the Book of Mormon, and how they clarify so many confusing things and make it very clear how and what we need to do. Ultimately, though, I'm grateful for Jesus Christ and the gift that he gave to make all of this possible. I'm grateful for the atonement of Jesus Christ and for his gospel. And I know that its power of redemption is real. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you for those of you who have been listening to the others and for sharing. For those of you who have reached out to me over text or in person to share your appreciation for it. You can also send me an email, like I mentioned. I'd, I'd love to hear what you're thinking of it. Love to get your insights from what you're reading as well. Send me insights you have from your most recent studies. So thank you again for listening. You know, this, this has been, I was talking to my dad about some of the struggles I'm having in my life, seeking some wisdom from him. And he said, you know, even if no one's listening to this, it's a blessing to you. And I do know that people are listening to it because they're telling me that. And I'm very grateful, but I do agree with what it says. Spending the time to be in the scriptures and to learn from them has been a huge blessing for me. And I'm very, very grateful for it. If you'd like to share the podcast with someone, there is a link below, a link tree link, which is really simply a way for them to find the podcast wherever they listen to it, just because podcasts are unique and there's lots of ways to listen to them. So their link will be below. Additionally, the email, if you'd like me to send something. Thank you again for listening and I'll talk to you next week.